Today, I'm speaking a little bit about lessons we can learn as a committed family. Committed family, that is our theme. And next month, we're going to be talking about practical Christianity. Next Sunday this time, Lord willing, I'll have my favorite preacher with us, Brother Warren Johnson. He'll be speaking on Wednesday night and then on Thursday at the marriage retreat, our marriage event right across the street here. And then on Friday morning, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night next week, you'll enjoy hearing Brother Warren preach. And we'll be talking about the family again, but also about practical Christianity throughout uh, this month. And we're asking the Lord to help us with that. But I want to conclude a little bit about a family unit. The devil hates family. He hates marriage. It's a fight. A broken home is the world's greatest wreck. They haven't found a tow truck to, get, to pull it off the freeway of life and get traffic flowing again normally. There's always challenges. The devil's banging away. He attacked the first marriage with Adam and Eve, and he's attacking your marriage today. Your marriage is not safe. Every marriage needs maintenance, needs attention, needs a, a focus on connection, a focus on communication, a, a focus on contentment, a focus on understanding God's way of doing things and, and saying, Lord, with your help, every family needs Christ. But as I look about this story, it is Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. The church of Corinth is a, a really, uh, it's a troubled church at the time that he writes this. Paul had been there a year and a half. He had spent a year and a half there working with these people. But it was the big city church. There was, for the most part, uh, they had money. They had positions. It was a wicked place. Uh, if people were caught up in immorality, it was a joke of the day. They'd say, oh, you've been Corinthianized. You've been made like the, the perverts in, in Corinth. Because it was a port city and a lot of the sailors would come in and prostitution was a problem. They would worship uh, in their temples and oftentimes have immoral activities taking place there. It was a sick city. It would be like your modern day uh, French quarters of New Orleans or uh, Las Vegas Strip. It was just not a good situation. But the darker the night, the brighter the light. And it was that place that Apostle Paul came in Acts chapter 18, and the Lord told him, don't be afraid, open your mouth, speak boldly, I've got much people in this dark place. And by the way, there are people in your community. And boy, as I was thinking about this today, I was so grateful I heard someone give me a testimony. He said, Pastor, I was on the bus route yesterday, and I just heard that we're not going to be able to run our buses, but I was visiting. I stopped, and a young man came, and he was 16 years old, and began talking to him about the gospel. Snow started coming on both of us, and yet he, he wouldn't take his eyes off me. He just continued to listen. And he said, do you know, I believe in reincarnation. He said, why do you believe that? He goes, well, I guess because everybody's been telling you you're reincarnated. He says, that's not the Bible. He goes, I didn't think it was. He said, he said, well, let me tell you what is in the Bible. And he said, I began to show him how he could have eternal life. And right there in the snow, uh, he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Talked to another man yesterday, and he said that, that he, was, went to, he and his wife went to visit a couple sitting there in their, in, their, in their living room and began to talk to them about Jesus. And the, the wife had been broken by other, other situations. And he said, well, let me just tell you how you can have eternal life. And she said, I need to do that. And she began to cry out to the Lord and ask God to save her. And tears began to flow. And she said, we'll be there Thursday night for the marriage tree, won't we, honey? Yes, we will be there. 
And they're going to be here on Thursday night. And she recently came to know the Lord. Lynn and I were in someone's living room yesterday praying with them about the marriage retreat and asking God they're not, uh, they're not attending church now, but we want the Lord to work in their hearts and challenge them with that. Talked to Brother John, who's saying this morning, he said, yesterday we had 70 young people at one of our rallies, and it was so good because we didn't know we we're not going to be able to run our buses for sure, but we had 70 there. Five of them came to know Jesus as their Savior, and that's just a wonderful thing to be a part of a soul-winning church. Well, that's what happened in Corinth. People got saved. But when Paul left, this particular church struggled deeply. About every kind of church problem you could have, they were having it. They were arguing about which assistant pastors are the favorite, which one they wanted to hear. If, they, if so-and-so was preaching, they weren't coming. Only they're going to come if Cephas is preaching, or if Paul, or if Apollos is preaching. They were just silly. There was problems with each other. They were fighting. There was bickering. He told them, I'd like to talk to you like adults, but I have to talk to you like little babies. You don't grow up. I'd love to give you some meat, but I have to give you milk because you're just too stuck on yourselves. You're, you're, you're carnal and not spiritual. They were having problems in the church and suing one another in open court and airing out their dirty laundry as children of God against each other before unsaved judges and police officers and bailiffs and, and juries. And he said, what are you doing? Couldn't you think about settling this some other way? If you're going to judge angels one day, can't you figure out in your own, you're Christians. You ought to be able to figure out how to forgive and how to work through problems, not taking it to court. He challenges them with other things of immorality. There's a man in the church that's, that's being immoral and everybody knows it with his stepmother. And no one's calling him out and no one's dealing with him. And it's a common thing in the church. It wasn't some peripheral member. It was someone they knew and they weren't dealing with that. There were abuses of the spiritual gifts. There was stinginess when it comes to giving to the Lord. In chapter 16, they were listening to wrong doctrine, listening to the wrong person talk. And one fellow said that it wasn't even the resurrection. There was Jesus didn't really resurrect from the dead, and we're not going to be resurrected. And he sent to all of chapter 15 to tell them that. There was a major missing element in the church, and that was love. He said, everybody wants to give a prophecy. Everybody wants to speak in tongues. Everybody wants to give their word of knowledge. Everybody wants to get behind the pulpit and do things that are, that are public. He said, but uh, we're missing love. There's a more excellent way. And there abideth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. Another thing they were doing, they were abusing the spiritual time of the Lord's Supper and making it more of a potluck and a popularity contest. And he said, man, some of you guys are... Some, some of the members have died and others are going to be sick because you're not giving worth to the Lord's Supper. Some of the things they were doing, they were, they were taking the liberties that they had in Christ and really not thinking about other brothers and sisters. But he tells them, you've got a problem and, and it's attacking your person, it's attacking your home. And I think we see several principles, several lessons we can learn. In this passage of scripture, I think we learned the lesson of commonality. We learned the lesson of contrast. We learned the lesson uh, that of caution. We learned lessons that uh, help us to have confidence in the Lord. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. Let's begin in verse number one of First Corinthians chapter 10. If you're watching at home, let me encourage you to look at the scriptures. Verse number one is Brother Darrell already read us. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. 
how that all of our fathers were under the, under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and there was all baptized unto Moses the cloud and the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock, that rock was Christ. Father, please give us wisdom as we talk to families today. I want to have a committed family. I only have one family which to oversee, and that's the Wilkerson family. And from that family, others have spun off, and there's the Dale family, and there's Derek Wilkerson and Preston, and, and they're on their own now. But each of us have to decide what kind of family are we going to have. Are we going to be a committed family, or are we going to be a casualty? If we're not committed, we're going to be a casualty. If we're casual, we're going to be a casualty. We're going to, the, the, the landscape of Christianity is filled with men and women who have failed to see the importance of being committed individually and corporately. I pray you bless our teenagers today, bless our children, working our single adults, our senior citizens, and whatever role we play, one thing we all have in common, we're here because of a family, some, somehow, some way. We're a son, we're a daughter, we're a brother, we're a sister, we're a husband, a wife, a child an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. All of us have connections here. Please help us to understand what it means and some things we can learn. In Jesus' name, amen. The first lesson I think we can learn from this passage of Scripture is that we do have a commonality, the lesson of commonality. Apostle Paul says, listen, every one of the Israelites that came out of Egypt and walked through, he's going to use the, the Israelites of old as an example You'll see the word in sample several times in this passage of Scripture. He's going to tell them that um, they all had something in common. Number one, they were guided by the Lord. Now, you may have been guided by the Lord as a young person. Some of you are first-generation Christians. Some of you have been saved, and your dad was saved, your grandpa was saved, your grandma was saved, and it goes back and back. We saw Brother Brown on Wednesday night say that he, is, he believes his son is the seventh generation of Christians. And thank God for that. Well, to cheer them on. Some of you, that's not your story. You're the first generation. But we all have some things in common. God has led us. God has brought you to this place. None of us are here by accident. I think also God has protected us. He said, just like the children of old, they were led by a fire by night and a cloud by day. And they were under that same cloud. And that led them through the wilderness journeys of their life. God protected them against enemies that were coming against them. And nobody got killed uh, while they were, in, they were going from Egypt into, into that wilderness journey right there. Because God protected them. And enemies came against them. And God thwarted them. I think I can see in my little 31 years of being married to Linda. And then growing up with my mom and my dad, Richard and Janelle Wilkerson. God led us. I used to get so frustrated because we moved so many times. But I thank God my dad, wherever he moved, he got us in church. He got us in a good church. He would go to a couple churches, make sure things, the doctrine was pure, the soul winning was an outgrowth of that church family. He would go sit with us in the youth group and making sure that our youth pastor and the youth workers were holding to the standards that he felt like were best for John and Matthew and Mark and Luke and Jana and Mary. By the way, if you work with teenagers, you ought to go on the second level. I'm frustrated when I see youth workers, want to be youth workers, but then they, they look more like the world. And they, their Facebook pages, you can't tell the difference between the holy and the profane. And if you want to do that, knock yourself out. But get out of the youth ministry and don't be a model. 
If you're working in the youth ministry, you ought, to, you ought to have the higher standards. You ought to be on a holy road to pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. Your dress standards, your music, your entertainment, your lifestyle, your conduct, your, your conversation, all of that ought to be a greater example. There's no place we need a higher standard of holiness than in, with our young people. But nonetheless, my dad would do that, and he would sit in there and he'd say, okay, I think this would be a good place for my kids. This would be a good place. I think they would, they would learn something here. I think this would be a good place where they could reach souls, and they're reaching missions, and, and he would put our life and influence in those places. And I see how God led us, how God protected us and put us in places, and thankful for a Christian school. My dad and mom, they never owned their own home. They never drove a nice car. But every time we'd go to a new place, he would put us in a Christian school. And they would pay, and they would work, and they would sacrifice to figure out. And they didn't have the money, they'd make arrangements. And how they're going to keep those kids under, a, under the protection and an extension of their Christian home. I can see that with our own kids, with all nine of ours. And we're still paying tuition every month that God will help us to, to help our kids. And, and, and that our schools could be an extension of what we're trying to accomplish here. And boy, teachers in the school, you need to take that personal. And you decide, you know what, I want to I go above and beyond. I want to communicate with our parents. I want to love them. I want to be a good example in the way I conduct myself and what I do and how faithful I am. Nothing aggravates me more than someone spotting out a teacher that doesn't attend church. Or is not faithful on this time. Or doesn't, doesn't do what they're supposed to do. Or shows something they shouldn't see. Or do something they shouldn't do. We ought to be that. And I'm thankful for that. But he said, look, you've been led by that same, all these people had something in common. They had been led by the God, fire by, by uh, night, a cloud by day. They had been protected by the Lord. He goes on to say, you not only have the protection, you have the identification. You all were brought under the Red Sea. It's a type of baptism. And when people get baptized, if they do this morning or tonight, what they're saying is, I'm with Jesus. Jesus, I'm buried with him in baptism. So why don't you sprinkle people? Because God didn't, Jesus didn't get sprinkled. <laughs> he went down in the water. He was buried, put under, and brought back up. And the same is true there. And when we get baptized, we're saying, I'm with him. He's with me. I'm with him. And we identify with Jesus. We have that in common. How many of you have already followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and you're thankful you did that? Did you raise your hand? Well, you know what you did? You're saying, I'm with Jesus. So all these children of Israel, they had been led by the Lord. They had been protected by the Lord. They had in common that they had all gone underneath this Red Sea. You know, the years ago, a guy came up with an idea. The Red Sea was only three inches deep or six inches deep and, and all that stuff. And you kind of wonder how that all the, the Egyptian horses got, got drowned in three inches of water. You wonder about that situation. But the truth of the matter is, that was a miracle. God brought them in under, and it was a type of baptism and identification. We're God's people. We've come out of Egypt. He said, you not only have the commonality of the leadership of God, the protection of God, the identification of God in your life, but you also have ate the same spiritual meat. And you've drank the same spiritual drink. Families that are committed and families that are not usually have the same thing in common. They heard the same messages. They were in the same youth group. They heard the same Sunday school lessons. And when it talks about it, he said, now that rock, 
referencing the rock of Rephidim and also the, 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 the rock there in Kadesh Barnea where that uh, Moses smote the rock and the second time he was supposed to speak to the rock because Jesus was on, he was that rock and Jesus uh, is to be, he was smitten once on the cross and now to get to Jesus, we don't smite Jesus, you just speak to him. And he's a type of that right there. He said, but everything you hear from the word of God is of Jesus. What's your Sunday school teacher when he says, open your Bibles? What is, the, what is the Bible? In the beginning was the, and who is the word? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you got a commonality. The lessons we can learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and about a committed family, they have things in common. There are some folks who used to sit in rooms like this one in churches all across our country who are now have no interest in spiritual things, but they do have that in common. They have identified with Christ. They have been fed by Christ. They have been led by Christ. They have been protected by Christ. They have Jesus in common. But, but, but there's another thing we can see, and that is the lesson of contrast. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 4. Would you please? Are we looking there? Look at verse number 4. Uh, f- verse 5. But when many of them, with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. In that group of people that came out of Egypt, that were identified, led, and fed by God, some of them pleased the Lord, but many of them did not. He said, with many of the people that had the same things in common, God was not pleased with them. Let me ask you something this morning. Is God pleased with you? Young person in the, in the balcony, Hiles Anderson College student, Hammond Baptist student, teachers, faculty members, deacons, deacons' wives, assistant pastors, assistant pastor wives, Pastor Wilkerson. Is God pleased with you? Is he happy with what you're doing? Is he happy with how you spend your time? Is he happy with how you're spending his money? Is he happy with how you are thinking? Is he happy with your social media? Is he happy with your thoughts? We see a contrast. Some people pleased the Lord. Other people did not. And as Paul writes of the church of Corinth, he said, you know, committed families have something in common. They're led. This is talking about Christian families. I'm not talking about people who are unsaved. We'll talk about that in a moment. But everyone here saved, you have something in common with me and I have something in common with you. God's led us. He's protected us. He's fed us. He's identified with us. We're in the family. Number two, there's another contrast, a different group of people. People that please the Lord and people that don't. He said, many of the which that had all the same thing given to them have not pleased me. They've not done the right thing. When I see that word please, I think of a camp message I heard years ago. And uh, it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the Bible says how we ought to walk and to please God. So many of us, we're we're concerned about pleasing everybody else around us, but there's, we live in an audience of one. There is one, you have nothing to prove and you have one person to please. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we walk into your home, you walk into my home. If you were to unlock my phone, I unlock your phone. And what is known in secret is revealed openly Would it be pleasing to the Lord? 
Would the words that we speak, would the places that we go, would the thoughts that we think, would they be pleasing to the Lord? The Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So many people are stirred up on the inside because they are not pleasing the Lord. They got more adversarial things going on, and just wherever they go, there's a drama mama. They got problems everywhere. And they want to blame everybody and think they're, the, they're God's gift of spirituality when really sometimes they're, they're at battle with their own stuff. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence from your own lust? Your own desires at war in your own members. So many folks oftentimes want to blame everybody for their difficulties when quite frankly they're their own problem. Because they're all tore up on the inside. They're not pleasing the Lord. Listen, I'm not asking you to evaluate somebody else in the room. I want you to evaluate you. I want you to evaluate your marriage, your home. Is it pleasing to the Lord? We see the lesson of commonality. We see the lesson of contrast. Our time is off, but we have no buses to go to, so we're going to go and stay till about 4 o'clock. I'm just joking. <laughs> Would you bear with me for a second? I want to talk on one more thing, and then I want, to just, I want to conclude the message today. But I want you to notice another one. Here is the lesson of caution. He said, I'm going to, te- I'm going to give you some caution based upon what God's people did. And he references four things that his people did in the wilderness that really frustrated the God. Four things they did. Idolatry, immorality, whining and complaining when they hit a hard, hard patch in the road, and then rebelling against the spiritual leadership that God had given them at a moment of lack of faith. It was a lack of faith on their part, but they blamed God and they blamed Moses and Aaron. And they gathered a bunch of rocks to stone them. And God points out four times in his people's life. In Exodus chapter 32, in Numbers 25, Numbers 21, and Numbers 14. And he says, I want you to see, there are four times that God got so stinking mad with his people that he had to be talked off the ledge of just absolutely annihilating them. And every time he got angry with his people, somebody stepped up and did something good. The first time, it was Moses. He said, Lord, don't, don't kill them. He said, what if the Israelites, if the, if the Egyptians find out you led them out here in the wilderness and then you just wiped them out? That'll give you a bad name in Egypt. Come on, have a little more mercy on them. And Moses interceded for them. In the book of Numbers in chapter 25, when the people were intermarrying with the Moabite girls, and there was immorality, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight, there was immorality. One priest, Phineas, said, you know, hang on a second. Not going to happen on my watch. You're not going to come and be immoral here in this, in this tabernacle. At the foot of the tabernacle, uh, one of those Moabite girls and one of the Egyptian guys, or Israelite guys, said, no, 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 it's not going to happen. And he did something pretty cruel. He went and found them out and put a, a spear right through both of them, killed them. And God said, I like that guy. He's taking sin seriously. He knows that sin will complicate life and immorality. Nothing destroys a family quite like that. But idolatry and then immorality. Then they hit a a rough spot, and we'll talk about this tonight, a rough spot in numbers where 
The, it was, they were discouraged in the way. They had gone a really difficult path. It was, it was difficult times for them. And instead of getting more strength from God, they got whiny and complaining and murmuring. And God says, that's enough. I'm going, to not, I'm going to get rid of you. And of course, Moses steps up and once again intercedes for them. God is trying to do some things. And of course, he puts the fiery serpent, that he, the snake started biting everybody. And then he puts the brass and he says, look, here's what you can do. Put that brass serpent up in the wilderness. And if, if someone gets bitten, if they want some mercy, let them go look to the, look to the brass. Look and live. And of course, Jesus would do that on the cross later on. But I want to talk to you this, tonight a little bit more about it. But I think a committed family has some things in common. Don't trash what you have in common. You ought to, think, you ought to go home this afternoon and write down some things that God has done to lead you and help your family. To protect your family. To identify with your family through Jesus how he's fed you, how he's given you lessons to learn and, and, and water to drink, all of which comes from Jesus. The manna, where did it come from? From heaven. Where did the quail come from? It came from him. The water came from the rock, which is Christ. You ought to value to say, you know what, Lord, I want Christ to be a centric part of my life. I want him to be the core and the circumference. I want him to be all that we think about. And I want to know what I have in common as a committed family. I also want to be in that contrast of people who pleased God and people who did not please God. He was not well pleased with them. I want to be as far away from those folks as I can. And he says, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't pleased with them for three or four reasons. One is idolatry. And we'll talk about that tonight, but it's going to talk about how that it wasn't so much worshiping a golden calf. It was they focused on pleasure, eating and drinking and rising up to play. If we ever have a society where everyone wants to play. I, the other day I got so frustrated. I got some folks that are frustrated. You're making us wear face masks when we come to church. I don't appreciate it. All right? And it's a free country. But they'll wear a face mask to watch their boy play basketball. They'll go in there. They'll do whatever they have to do. Don't, don't tell me what to do. It's not right. It's a free country. The only reason we're just... Well, try getting on an airplane with that attitude. Try getting on... Try, try, but you know what's just so... If it's play, I'll do it. If you go to Chuck E. Cheese, oh, that's a fine. Well, where's the mask? Let's get it, honey. Where's it at, you know? I can't believe what Pastor's trying to do. He's, he's communist. <laughs> But you know what? It's the difference. Worship and play. It's idolatrous. In context here, it's just, it's whatever, whatever's fun. If it's fun, I do it. If it's for about me eating or drinking or rising up to play, Exodus 32, that's what we do. And God says, I don't, that doesn't please me. When we make play over, over the preeminence that Jesus ought to have, and I've been as guilty of this with anybody. We just, it's all, some of us sitting here in the room this morning, worshiping the Lord. We can't, we, we can't wait to see what's going to happen in, in, in sports. I've been guilty of that. We just, it's just about, it's about what we're going to do. Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to go? What, what temple are we going to worship at this afternoon? 
Where are we going to pay our homage? Where are we going to eat? What are we going to enjoy? It's just about us. And I'm not here to be critical. I'm just here to say all of us need to get a checkup from the neck up occasion and say, you know, am I an idolatrous person? Hey, Pastor, I don't worship any idols. Maybe they're not made of silver and gold or stone or wood, but they're made of me and you and activities and play and things that we, we put over what is really going on. One of the things I think all of us ought to have, a, have to do in, in this time of our life is say, what is God doing? Not what this world's coming to. It's coming to God. But what's he want me to do? What's God doing and how does he want me to be involved in that? He tells us here, he said, look, a committed Christian family got some things in common. There's a definite contrast, some who please him and some who don't please him. And then we find some who are just, uh, who, who need to be cautioned about sins that frustrate the Lord.